Welcome to this episode of Life After Jet, a podcast about the Jet alumni world, their careers and lives since leaving the Jet program. Uh, my name is David Piper. So I'm a freelance illustrator and artist here in Melbourne. I do some commercial illustration and book illustration, and I do comics, and I teach a comics workshop with the Melbourne Library Service. A career in art. Many of us may have had that dream of being an artist, but it usually stays as just a dream. For my guess, it's a reality, and we'll discuss the life of the freelancer, artistic inspiration, and start with the big question. So, why art as a career? Okay, that is a big question. <laughs> of an inspiration or or an influence has Japan been on your art like you know compared to before you went to Japan and now after you've uh, you've lived in Japan You said I do find that it permeates everything, and for them it seems almost like an automatic sort of thing. Like I, I don't know if they consciously make themselves think about the small little details, or whether it just comes to them naturally. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think yeah, and it's always the the small simple things that are beautiful because mm. Japan is full of concrete and steel cities, you know. Yeah. So the small things need to be beautiful, and you notice them when you're traveling around, like. You know, the manhole covers have different decorations on yes. from town to town. Yes. Or uh, the, the traffic lights have a slightly different tune when, yes. the, when the green man goes. And also, like, like, yeah. sorry, and also when there's construction work and they put the barriers up, but often the little yellow things that hold up the poles, there are, th- mm. there's no standard, like they're little cartoon characters and they differ from city to city. It's this. It's really odd, like how they customize. That's the word I was. I was trying to reach for. Yeah. They seem to customize yeah. everything. And yes, you know, like you mentioned before, there's all this massive, big concrete 
jungle and Tokyo in comparison to Sydney. I mean, if you've looked at it from Google Maps, there's not as much green areas of park. Uh, we could do like entire podcasts on <laughs> just talking about art in Japan. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, Japanese manhole covers. Japanese manhole, yep. Yeah. Yep, definitely. When it came time to leave Japan in the JET program, how did you come about just uh, considering what you would do next? This might be hard for some people who who work a, a you know a regular job mm-hmm. to comprehend. But the JET program that one year is the only time I've ever had a full time job. Right. So <laughs> that was it, and pretty shortly into it. As much as I enjoyed the job, I realized I wouldn't have as much time for my artwork mm. doing that. So by the time I got to the end of it, I had a pretty firm idea of where I wanted that to go. And even though I had thoroughly enjoyed the year on jet, I really wanted to go back to spending more time on my art, you know, and... Uh, and that was the reason. My mind. Yeah. So that was the reason for for like finishing up on on your contract was because you couldn't find enough time to develop um, your your artwork. That's probably the big reason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I came back to Sydney and then about a couple of weeks later I flew to Vancouver. I got a working holiday visa for Canada and I stayed in Canada for about five weeks. Mm-hmm. Before I realized, actually, I wasn't quite done with Japan and I wanted to go back. Right. Um, and, yeah, so that's kind of why I came back and spent another year. Me again. Here's a bit of trivia. In Vancouver, David met Brendan Wiescotton, who featured in our earlier episode about being an organized play coordinator. Also, another fun fact about David and I. We both grew up in the same place in an area called the Southern Highlands, located in country New South Wales. It's a sort of coincidence that I keep running into when meeting an ex-jet, where degrees of separation can often be a lot less than you might think. So what were you doing in that uh, second year? It wasn't on the jet program again, but were you teaching again? No. Uh, I got a working holiday visa, mm-hmm. uh, and I was working in a hostel, youth hostel in Nagasaki, and spending, you know, about half my day working in the hostel and about half my day uh, really going around and doing a lot of drawing and a bit of painting and, and writing while I was there. Uh, after that, I moved to Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, in Wellington, I did a bit more of the same. You know, I worked a part-time job and kept working on my comics and my art. Mm-hmm. And I had a whole, you know, uh, backlog of reference photos that I had taken in Japan that I could use for artworks. Yeah. Um, so I kind of kept going with that traditional pen and ink stuff that I was doing and started also, you know, working on some comics. I mean, what sort of challenges did you face? You had to support yourself uh, working yeah. part-time jobs. and. Well, yeah, I suppose the challenges with the, with the freelance lifestyle in any profession, I guess, but in art as well, is how to have a consistent income. Because freelance work, you often do, you know, one job at a time for one client at a time. But it's mm-hmm. not always the same job. And it, once it's done, it's not maybe not needed again for a while. So, you know, I've often uh, supported myself with a part-time job, you know, on a weekend or something like that. Um, yeah. And then learning how to live small as well, even. You know, the, yeah. uh, working from home, maybe 
makes things easier, but also not knowing where the next job is coming from sometimes means you have to be little, little, small. Yeah. Is that stressful? Did you find it stressful or like at any time? No, did it... no not yeah? at all. I'd okay. much rather uh, have less money and more time and, you know, be in control of my life in some manner <laughs> uh, than waste all my time working at a job that I can't stand or, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather work from home and live small, I think, is the point. <laughs> How did you go about um, finding leads uh, for your freelancing? It's, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, I guess. In 2009, when I was living in Nagasaki, I uh, set up a website, which is still the same one that I have at Sunday Inc. And that's just basically a, a showcase of, of my work. So that's about as far as I go in terms of advertising what I do. But how I find jobs tends to be word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this basically long string of word of mouth connections that I do some work, I do artwork or a comic or you know illustration for somebody, mm-hmm. and somebody else sees it and sees that I do good work, and they get in touch, and basically that's the cycle. Yeah, uh, probably doesn't doesn't hurt that I uh, meet people and tell them what I'm doing as well, just in daily life, I guess. Right. Um, walking, around, walking around with a sketchbook tells people that you're an artist. If you're out in a park sketching, people know that's what you do, I guess. Do, what do you yeah. mean? People Do people actually come up to you when you're doing it in, in public and then start t- talking to you? Yeah, absolutely. Really? It's like the open sketchbook is an invitation to say hello. Wow. People okay. want to look over your shoulder and they want to see what you're working on. And, you know, if they recognize the thing that you're sketching as the thing that's in front of them... Mm. then that's a little, you know, a little tick in a box, I guess, a little recommendation. And that happened everywhere you were, like Wellington, Vancouver, and Melbourne? Oh, or? yeah, all over the place. Definitely effective in Japan as well because oh. there's a language barrier, but, you know, if someone's looking over your shoulder and they can see what you're sketching, yeah. I definitely, yeah, met some people that way. Absolutely. And as I said, the open sketchbook is like an invitation to say hello. Did you go to any kind of formal uh, courses or education, say at uni or college or TAFE whatsoever, to sort of get some kind of official accreditation? Uh, and do you think that's necessary as a freelancer? It's uh, a good question. Um, I guess it's hard to say. I don't personally believe in this day and age that a qualification called artist is necessary. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I do have a university degree. Uh, my major was in filmmaking, but I did do mm-hmm. minor subjects in art and photography as well. Now, I guess going to uni, it's important because it's kind of a, a bridge between you know, school life and adult life. And in that sense, it would be worth doing. Mm-hmm. But in terms of whether that makes you an artist, I just think if you spend your life drawing or painting or playing music or whatever your passion is, then that's the thing that makes you good at it. And always wanting to be better than the last time you did it is what's going to make you an artist. Yeah, so I've got a degree in media arts and I do have a, a small qualification in fashion drawing, fashion illustration as well. But wow. those the actual qualifications themselves are probably less important than spending the time drawing and, you know, meeting people and doing stuff. If you can do the thing that they want you to do, then no one's looking at your uh, degree or your grades or, you know, which school you went to.
how long have you been working as a freelancer now? That's a complicated question. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been I've been selling artwork since you know since high school. I suppose I've really been doing it since I finished university, and with brief gaps when I was living overseas. Um, but even now, I was still selling artwork here and there. Probably would say I've been doing it more since I've returned from overseas. I've been living in Melbourne this time for six years, so mm-hmm. you know that's a pretty decent stretch. You talked about selling your artwork. I mean, how did you uh, come about with a reasonable, realistic price to to sell your work? It's it's a huge question, isn't it? And it's a yeah. challenge to anyone who does something creative. Got so many factors to consider. It's not just the time that it took you to do the work, or just the materials, because the time it took you to do the work doesn't include the lifetime of experience, mm. and you know, and the years of training and practice it took you to get to that point. Mm. So you know, a piece of artwork that takes a day mm-hmm. is actually you know twenty years plus a day, and just because it's on a piece of paper that's A4 size. Doesn't mean it's less valuable than something that would be the size of a building, you know. Mm. So it's a really difficult question, and also you have to find that balance between a price that somebody would be willing to pay mm-hmm. and putting a value on your time. And part of the problem that creative people like us often come up against is that people assume because you do something creative, you must love it, and because you love it, <laughs> you shouldn't charge money for it. <laughs> <laughs> if it's your profession, then you have to put a decent value on your time. Exactly. And if you work for free, or if you work for not very much, then you devalue the skills and talents of all the other people that do the same thing that you do. I don't know, Eden. It's a difficult question, and you take it case by case. But yeah, putting a value on your time is it's so important. And never working for free or for exposure. That could be a whole other podcast, there, mate. <laughs> not, yeah. Not working for exposure. Like you don't have to give me an exact figure, but say maybe a ballpark figure, like the rule of thumb, like your method of deciding how much to actually come up with a, a, a base, a, a basic guiding price to charge for that, and like an average, of average number of hours you would work in that particular type of common sure. work. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, with um. You know, years of experience that I have, I can generally get a, you know, pretty uh, good idea of how long a project will take. Mm. With that in mind, um, I usually start off by telling people what my hourly rate is for studio time, mm-hmm. and then if they can be more specific about what it is they want, then I can give them, you know, a ballpark figure of hours that that would take. And an hourly rate, and then we kind of go from there.、Um, I find it easier to charge an hourly rate for, you know, commercial work because then it allows for changes and for more or less to be done.、Um, if people have a budget in mind, then we work towards that. But、mm-hmm. having an hourly rate does make things a bit simpler.、Um, in terms of selling finished artwork, then. That's a bit more personal and has more to do with you know how I feel about the artwork once it's done and how long it took. What what's what what is the worst thing about freelancing and and dealing with clients?、Uh, what's the worst things I've ever asked or the funniest things? The biggest challenge is 
exceeding expectations. It can be it can be frustrating, but it's up to me to manage expectations before we get started. The, probably the funniest thing that ever happened was um, we were editing a, a video for um, a client who was a, a race a race car team, mm-hmm. and um, they gave us a box of footage that was that they shot on their own video camera outside of race times, like at you know at the hotel and in the cars and around town and stuff like that. And the head of the race team was convinced that there was 10 minutes of footage of them hitting golf balls off the hotel balcony. And we went through hundreds of hours of, of footage and it didn't exist. And we went back to him and he said, well, we're really sorry. There's no footage of you hitting golf balls off the balcony. And he's like, no, it's there. And sometimes customer is wrong. <laughs> Why would he want footage of them hitting golf balls off the balcony? Uh, oh, they must have thought it was hilarious and it would go well with the footage of them racing their cars. I don't know, but uh, it was yeah. good times, good times. <laughs> so what method have you found that helps more with getting your name out there and oh, selling and profitable? Tough. Yeah, sorry. It's really tough and I don't know, a lot of people who do what I do are just as bad as I <laughs> as I am, Eden. Oh, you know, everyone everyone talks these days about social media, and I suppose you have to have some kind of presence to let people know that you're there and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. But often, I have you know, I have situations where I meet people in real life, and I still think that meeting people in real life is the best way to to get your work across. Mm-hmm. Um, to meet someone face to face, and you know, look them in the eye and tell them that what it is that you do. I still find that to be the best way. And so, yeah, I suppose you know, if I'm doing a class or I'm at different events, um, or you know, do like a comic convention or something like that, then looking people in the eye and showing them, you know, this is the thing that I do, probably the best way. Now, talking about the uh, Sunday Inc. the website, which you said earlier, you started at quite early, way back when you were in Japan. Um, how's that working out for you? Like, what do you think about using a website to sell your artwork to to promote yourself? Uh, as an idea, it's good. I like having the best of my work in one place so that people can see it. I think before I had the website, you know, I had accounts on different social media uh, sites like DeviantArt and mm. or Carbon Made or, you know, all these like folio websites. And I had about three different places people could see my art, but not really one that was my own. So I think in that sense, having Sunday Inc., having my own website is strong. Mm. You know, it makes it easier to just say, this is where it is. You can have a look. I suppose I would like to be able to find a way to get more people to look at it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of those big questions that's always ongoing. The latest version of Sunday Inc. is basically just a Tumblr theme with the URL attached to it. I decided to trim it down and get rid of all the, the junk that had kind of grown up over the years, and mm. now it's mostly just the Tumblr page with the yeah, Sunday Inc. URL and the, the latest content from the last few, few years. That doesn't reach back to 2009 anymore. What I used to do was put entire comics up on Sunday Inc. back when it was a WordPress site. But since I've changed to the the Tumblr-based page, I only have a couple up on the site that people can read and everything else is available for sale. I figured I had them up on the website for long enough that people could read them for free. And now if they want them, they can buy a hard copy. 
nice. I do have printed editions of comics on, on my shop. Okay. On my store, yeah. So what's well, how how difficult is it to to uh, draw a comic? Start with an idea. Yeah, I I keep notebooks and sketchbooks and I write things down and um you know, I, I don't just do comics, so if an idea suits a comic in terms of telling that story, then that's usually what I do. If we're going to talk about how to make it, then I usually just start off by writing a list of everything that happens in it, and then break that list up into scenes and pages. Mm-hmm. Then break the pages up into panels of things that happen, and then, you know, do like a, a layout, layout draft of it, just do a quick sketch of... This is where everything is on the page, and work from that. Then do a slightly more detailed sketch of where everything on the page is. Mm-hmm. Uh, then do a draft page, and final artwork from that. I use a light box for a lot of my work. I trace a lot, so I can be rough and messy on my draft pages, and mm. then use a light box to trace clean artwork. So all my finished artwork looks surprisingly clean. <laughs> Sounds like you've got quite a lot of specialized equipment, which you probably had to build up over over time, uh, and then fit out like a, a studio at home. Which, I guess, if you if you're serious as a career as a freelancer, that is what you really need to do. Like have, buying, invest a lot of uh, resources, time, and money into building up a proper studio. Would that be right? I would agree with that. Yeah, and I think it takes time because you can't just go to the art supply shop and say, oh, I want to be a freelance illustrator, give me all the things. <laughs> it takes time to find the right pen for you or the right kind of paper. I have a paper collection, Eden, really? uh, that you wouldn't believe. And just you buy a sketchbook or you buy a pack of paper and maybe you use one sheet that one time and you keep it in mind for some other project, but you don't touch it again for three years. And you know, <laughs> it takes time to build these things up. Um, in terms of specialized equipment, the the light box is a big one for me um, mm-hmm. because I use, I use it for so many different kinds of work um, and it just makes drawing things easier. And I think, uh, I don't know about you, but we were always told in school that tracing is cheating. <laughs> I can tell you from a, a lifelong artist's point of view, tracing is just another tool and I use it a lot. How do you actually keep getting motivated? How do you actually develop that kind of motivation and discipline? Uh, there's definitely a couple of things that I do. And my one of them is that my daily and my weekly routine are very kind of well set. Mm-hmm. I do the same things on the same days of the week each week. And I do the same things at the same time of day each day. So when it comes to actually, you know, standing or sitting at the desk and doing my illustration work or artwork, then it's just there and I just do it because that's part of the daily routine. Mm. Um, the other thing that I do, I suppose, is turn the internet off. Mm. Uh, when I'm working, I turn my phone off and the internet off. I usually work with headphones on as well, so that pretty much blocks out the rest of the world while I'm doing what I'm doing. Any kind of playlist recommendation? Yeah. I do quite like music and lyrics when I'm drawing. 
lot of Scandinavian electro pop. There you go. <laughs> That's what they do at home. <laughs> I guess if there's anything anything to do with the lyrics, at least if something it's in the language you don't understand, it's just kind of yeah. kind of fades into the background. How did that the drawing classes come about? Did someone look you up, or was that something you always wanted to do, and then you finally found a, a venue that was receptive to your ideas? Oh, it's definitely something I always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a, it's an interesting chain of events there. Uh, I put some, uh, I put a comic in the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Contest in the graphic oh. story division uh, back in two thousand. Eleven, I think, and that was through the Melbourne Library Service. And even though I didn't win that contest, I was invited to put some comics art in an exhibition、mm. that they had in oh early 2014. And when I was at that exhibition on the opening night, I went round to all the staff at the library and said, "Hey, have you ever had anyone teaching comics at the library?、Uh, I'd really like to do that." So I introduced myself to all these different librarians at City Library, and they all seemed really positive. But nothing happened. And then the following year, they asked me to be a judge for the youth version of the same contest.、Wow. So I was a judge for the the kids graphic story section of the writing contest. And at the award ceremony for that, I met the head of the library service. I met some of the same librarians, and again I said to them, "Hey." I'm really keen on doing some comics classes. You should have some comics classes at the library. Yeah. Give my card. Get in touch. And so this this is you know back and forth.、Uh, took three years, even to get round to actually doing it. <laughs> But、uh, we got there in the end, and now it's happening, and it's a real thing, and、yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Is it going to be a regular,、uh, ongoing thing? I hope it it will be. I hope so. But、uh, what we have here is a five week course.、Mm. Um, So we're kind of waiting to see what the numbers are, how what the you know positive reaction is from the students and the people at the library, and we're going to assess at the end of the five weeks. I would really like to make it a regular thing.、Mm. I think you know it's important to encourage young artists and writers to do their thing. If we can make it an after-school program, then that would please me a lot, and I think it would be a really positive influence for the you know local kids. You recently、uh, published a children's book. So,、yes. how did that come about? My brother and his family live in Canada,、mm. and、uh, what I have been doing for the last five years with my dad is、uh, writing and illustrating a children's book for them for Christmas as a Christmas gift.、Mm. And the last couple of years, we've been. Really happy with how the books turned out, and so I've, for a very limited time, put them up on Sunday Ink for sale. So we do a limited print run, and if anyone happens to see it at the time and is interested, they can buy a copy、uh, of the book. Now the books are never intended to be for sale, so that's why it's quite limited. You know, those always designed to be within the family, but. I'm really happy with the work that we've been doing, and yeah, just wanted to share it with people. Another thing about your art, a lot of a motif or a character that keeps popping up in your artwork is the giraffe. I don't know if I've ever asked you, what's with the obsession with the giraffe? <laughs> <laughs>、um, it started off 
a single sketch that I did probably a couple of weeks after I got back from uh, living overseas. And it was, it was like a self-portrait of a giraffe wearing my clothes with a sketchbook doing <laughs> sketching. And I just really liked it. And I started doing other sketches of this giraffe in other places in the world. I did uh, one in Paris by the Seine and one painting the Leaning Tower of Pisa and one in front of St. Basil's Cathedral. Mm. Uh, and so you've got all these kind of things. And then I did one giraffe painting, which you can see on the website. It's, it's the one where he's sitting in Van Gogh's bedroom. Yes. Reading a book really started the the art giraffe that I went on. Yeah, it was it was kind of two things. It started because of the, the Van Gogh one, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought that was quite funny. And then I started researching famous historical paintings and wondering if I could paint them myself, mm. and if I could, how would I make them my own? And putting art giraffe in there was how I did it. Challenge accepted. Okay. You know, this, this tradition in, in classical art of learning at the feet of the masters, you know, that, that you would apprentice as an artist under mm. someone who's been doing it for many more decades than yourself. And I think we've kind of lost that these days. People mm. just assume that if you have a degree or if you've, you know, drawn enough pictures, then you are an artist. We've lost that sense of apprenticeship. So mm. I kind of thought that, you know, Painting these these famous works or trying to learn from them might be you know a step in the right direction. I remember doing a postgrad uh, study and one of the classes I had had a lot of art theory in it and uh, there was a question of authenticity. We put a lot of value and price on authenticity. If it's a copy, then it's somehow rubbish. Yeah, maybe it's this assumption that talent is innate. If you were born with talent, then you must be good. But the only way to get good at something is by learning and practicing and doing more of that thing. Yeah. And that takes a lot of the romance away from assuming that someone is talented or naturally gifted or something like that, right? Yeah. And it's also very discouraging as well, because if you can't get it the first time, people just get really discouraged and then they just leave it. And... Oh, no, it's obvious that I don't have a talent. Like, I can't even draw a, a, a line properly. A, a talented amateur still can't compare to a professional who who's practiced a lot, basically. Yeah. And isn't that the thing, Eden, that, uh, what is it, that's like 10,000 hours to become a professional yeah. in any subject? So yeah. doesn't matter how talented you are. Yeah, you could be born talented with something, but if you don't spend that time developing it practicing your craft or developing it or whatever yeah. skill it is yeah i was wondering like are you in touch or are you part of any kind of artist community locally and, and what was, what is it like like what's it like being part of that sort of community of freelancers i definitely don't see myself as part of an artist community but i do have some contact with the local comics community yeah. i did it when i was living in wellington as well um is that comics makers in Australia and New Zealand are a really small group and a small dedicated group of people who just, you know, love making comics. In Wellington, when I was living there, I went to like a, a monthly, you know, weekend meetup where everyone would come together and show what comics they've been working on or anything they were reading. Mm-hmm. And 
and I'm still in contact with them and still take part in a, at a yearly anthology of comics that, um, that comes out of Wellington. Uh, in Melbourne, I'm kind of, you know, semi-regular on the, um, on the forums, you know, and the Facebook group for Melbourne Comic Makers. Um, and doing activities at the, the city library has brought me into real life contact with local artists and, and you know people making stuff. And I've definitely made some friends through that. We're really you know doing our own thing, mm. one page at a time. And then when we see each other, it's <laughs> it's pretty rare. I was, yeah. was going to say it sounds like it's a lonely profession. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that a lot of us do by sitting in a room by ourselves, drawing at a desk. You know, so when we do get those those chances to meet each other we're really positive about each other's work mm-hmm. because we're really excited to see other people doing that same thing that we assumed we were alone in doing um i don't really feel like there's a lot of competition between comics artists mm-hmm. in particular that there's so few of us that we're just we're just happy to see each other doing cool stuff any advice or tips or to any anyone who's contemplating of becoming freelancer and heading into the kind of career that uh, you have now, what would you say to them? I suppose my advice would be to decide what it is that you want to do and do as much of it as possible to have work to show. Having a good folio of work to show is the big thing. Um, as we talked about, the qualifications are less important than having a good catalogue of work to show that you can do the mm. thing, what it, what it is that you're doing. Um, and then the second step, of course, is finding finding some way to show that work. And I do it as a website. Uh, I don't know. You could photocopy things and stick them on the sides of buildings, I guess. But <laughs> finding finding a way to show your work is probably important. Yeah, getting well. out there, and also maybe do a lot of networking. Yeah, yeah, real life contact with real life people is definitely important. Hope you enjoyed our talk on the life of the freelance artist and illustrator. As David mentioned, you can find all examples of the good gentleman's work on his website sundayinc.com. And I encourage you to go to one of David's workshops. As he said, everyone can draw. Being talented is not a prerequisite for his classes, nor is it required to enjoy the art of, well, art. David and I chatted a bit later and I asked him if he ever considered doing something like graphic design as a day job. He said when he was living in Wellington, New Zealand, he met a professional painter who was working on the Hobbit trilogy films. It sounded amazing at first, but as he talked to her, the more it became apparent that she was doing process work. Six 11 hour days a week, painting the same design on a thousand prop plate over and over. When asked if she ever painted for herself anymore, she gave a slightly depressed sigh and said that the last thing she ever wanted to do was pick up a paintbrush on a day off. I never wanted to be sick of the sight of a brush or a pen in my hand, David said. So no, I guess I've never really considered a more conventional employment route. Thanks again to my guest David for joining me for this episode, and thank you for listening. If you like, why not subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Until next time, bye bye. <laughs>